Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. We're going to ring the bell. Today. I need 60 minutes. 60 minutes to me. 60 minutes. No big. You got Welcome to the Kravitsky and Kane podcast. I'm Bobby Kravitsky. You can find me on Twitter at Bobby underscore K91. My partner in crime is Jeff Kane. You can find him on Twitter at Jeff Kane 78. You can also read his work on ESPN New Hampshire. I work in sports radio, so you can hear me on IMG audio, but you cannot read my work anywhere. Jeff, let's start with talking about the action on the hardwood. It just feels to me like it's Oklahoma City's year. It seems like they are destined to win the NBA title. And so I ask you, if that comes to fruition, does that make Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook more or less likely to stay in Oklahoma City? Well, obviously, Bobby, we have to talk about this because you can't read or write. Uh, <laughs> That's why I have you. Yeah, exactly. All right, buddy. Here it goes. NBA, insane. I mean, that game last night, unreal. What Oklahoma City is doing right now, taking down the Spurs, then taking taking down, I mean, they haven't taken them down yet. Three games to one against the Golden State Warriors, 73 wins this regular season. Westbrook and Durant are playing otherworldly. Westbrook especially, if in my eyes, He's kind of overtaken Durant as the best player on that team. And you ask, is it more likely that they stay together? And I say yes. And the reason that I say yes is I do not believe if OKC goes out and wins the NBA championship that Kevin Durant is going to sit there and say, I'm going to move out now. I'm going to go do something different. I think he's going to sit there and say, Westbrook signed for another year. I'll sign for one one year, maybe an option, maybe a long-term deal with a buyout clause. But I'm looking at it, and I think he stays in OKC if they win the NBA title to defend that title at least for a second year. See, Jeff, and that's why I think you're focused on the wrong person. The most likely scenario for Kevin Durant is to sign a one-year deal with a player option to protect himself in the short term. However, let's say that at the end of next season, with a ring already on his finger, Russell Westbrook says, I now want to go out and be the man. And I want to go out to a bigger market. Like, I don't know, Los Angeles, where he's from, go play for the Lakers in one of the largest markets in the country, for the team that he grew up watching and trying to bring them back to prominence where he no longer has to share 
that responsibility and the credit that comes with being the guy, being the face of a franchise. I can agree to disagree with you here because, yeah, I understand what you're saying about focusing on the wrong player. But still, I mean, if Westbrook wants to go out and be the guy in the franchise, you know, to be that number one guy, he's not going to win anything with the L.A. Lakers. It takes more than just one superstar to win in the NBA now. We've seen it now the last few years. We saw it with the Celtics when they came back and brought the new big three together. We saw it when LeBron James, you know, took his talents to South Beach along with Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh. And now you've seen it with the Golden State Warriors last year, winning as a team with a lot of really good up-and-coming players. Yeah, sure, he might turn around and say, all right, I want to go play uh, with the L.A. Lakers, who do have some decent young parts around it. But he's going to want someone else to join him there, because especially in the West, you need more than one player to win. Jeff, if Russell Westbrook were to go to L.A., it's only a matter of time before another all-star follows Agreed. him there. So not to mention the fact that part of this would be the motivation that comes from having already won a ring and wanting to seek out on his own. But there's also the fact that if he goes to a franchise as attractive as the Lakers, then it becomes that much more likely that his winning ways will continue as, like I said, another all-star caliber player follows suit. And you would expect it to be, because for some reason, maybe it's the glitz in the glamour, maybe it's the, you know, the chance to make more money with, uh, you know, advertising dollars, maybe it's the weather. But for some reason, L.A. looks to be that destination that everyone wants to go play in. Um so, yeah, I mean, it's going to be easier for the Lakers to turn around and bring in the talent around, say, if it is Westbrook that ends up going out there, or even if it's LeBron James who decides to you know, opt out of his Cleveland contract should they win the uh, title this year, which I do believe if they win the title, he opts out um, and signs a bigger deal somewhere else. Um, As in he leaves yeah. Cleveland. Exactly. I would, oh, if they, wow. No, no way, you know, Jeff. That's... Dude, I'm telling you right now, if the Cavaliers win a championship, LeBron, show me the money, James, is going to opt out and go to the highest. I think it's That's... all the more likely if they win the title that he stays. No way. It's, if, if they lose and things to him look bleak, that's when Cleveland runs the risk of losing James. Not if they win the title, but to be honest, he – he is someone who, regardless of what he says, he cares about his image. and He, he cares about his image, also, Bobby. He, as much as he cares about winning, first and foremost, he does care about Cleveland. You heard it from guys in Miami that James never completely shut the door and always there was a part of him that wanted to go back to Cleveland if it made sense. So I have a hard time believing that he's going to leave. And if they win a championship it makes it impossible that he walks out on them. Uh, see, now, I disagree 100% because, really, I mean, they haven't won anything. The city of Cleveland says, what, 1948? You know, if if they win, he can walk out on top. He's the guy that brought the championship, and he walks out. He already showed it once before when he took his talents to South Beach. 
you know, to get with Dwayne Wade and this and that. He sold out for a championship. He, If he wins a championship in Cleveland, even if he walks out, Cleveland fans are going to worship the ground that he walks on forever and a day. And I don't think his image takes any bit of a dip. I think he turns around and goes for the biggest money. And that, that he's a hired mercenary. That's what he is. Jeff, he left Cleveland to protect his legacy. He was not going to win a title on that team. And I don't blame him for his train of thought was correct, that he had to leave and his best chance at winning multiple championships to cement his legacy amongst the NBA greats was to team up with Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh. Now, he handled it horribly. But the fact is that he cemented that legacy. And coming back to Cleveland only enhances it if he wins a title. I don't think he leaves them if he does win one. Certainly the city would be okay with it. They would be much more forgiving than if times got tough and once again he bolted. But I just don't think he's doing that, regardless of whether or not they win a championship. Uh, See, I think LeBron compares about one thing, and that's Bron Bron himself. That's all he cares about. If he wins a championship, he can walk away clear and free. We'll see what happens. But, you know, we digressed a little there from from OKC, who is playing some phenomenal team ball right now. That game last night was, I mean, I I originally thought that Golden State was, you know, just having an off game. And then, then, you know, you and I were texting back and forth, and you're right. OKC totally, totally dictated that game. Yeah, the Warriors have no answer for OKC's length and athleticism. And it's funny because all year it was just accepted that you cannot keep up in a track meet with Golden State. Well, now it's the Warriors who will surely lose if they go that route against the Thunder and Westbrook and Durant and all the other athletes they have out on the wings. And on top of that, if they slow things down too much and try and muck up the game, well, the Thunder are bigger and stronger and more physical than you are, and not to mention that your center, Andrew Bogut, is a shell of himself right now. So you're essentially going into a gunfight with a butter knife. <laughs> That's a good one, a gunfight knife with a butter knife. I like that. You know, I try to make the people laugh. Jeff, what could make Celtics fans cry is the very realistic feeling that's starting to sink in that getting the number three pick and missing out on a top two selection in what is widely considered a two-player draft is going to cost them the ability to make that big splash and acquire a Paul George or a Jimmy Butler. If that is in fact the case and the Celtics use the pick, who do you have your eyes on? Well, I guess if I'm looking for anything, I'm looking at Dragon Bender. I mean, because I think he's the type of guy that they can stash on the bench for a little bit and makes this team better in two or three years when he comes into the size of his body. Um, You know, that's one of the things that the Celtics lacked, in my eyes, in their round one loss to the Atlanta Hawks, is, is the fact that 
They didn't have anyone in that low post. They didn't have anyone that they could they could put it down. I mean, if you remember back to when Kevin Garnett was there, he was underneath. He could hit those you know six to twelve foot jump shots, be a presence underneath the hoop. They don't have that on the team right now. I mean, Sullinger had that for a little bit last year, but really isn't that great. Evan Turner isn't great underneath the basket, and I think they could develop Bender, uh, especially if he grew into that you know, lanky frame that he has and allow him to be the type of player that they need. Unfortunately, yeah, it's looked at as a two-player draft right now. I mean, it truly is. But sometimes the best players, when you look at a a two-player draft, if you go back to when Kevin Durant was drafted, Greg Oden was drafted right before him, and he turned out to be a colossal injury mistake bust. Um, So you got to look and say, all right, maybe there's more to this draft than just these two players. It's just like the NFL draft. It's a crapshoot. And really, if you really look at it, there's a lot that needs to be done with both uh, Ingram and uh, and Simmons. That's for sure. And Jeff, you raise an excellent point because if you go back to this time last year, the top two picks were... Number one pick was, of course, Carl Anthony Towns. And second was Jaleel Okafor in everyone's mind. And all of a sudden, as we got closer to the draft, D'Angelo Russell kept gaining steam to the point where, sure enough, the Lakers select him second overall, and Okafor falls back to third. Now, I'm not saying that's going to happen, that one of Ingram or Simmons, most likely Ingram in that scenario, is going to fall to three. What I'm saying is, it's still too early to really know what you have beyond Ingram and Simmons. And when you look at a player like Bender, there is so much skill there, and he plays the game exactly how you would like your big man to play it now, where he is a good three-point shooter. He has the mobility and the fluidity to switch on the pick-and-roll defensively. He needs to bulk up. Brandon Ingram needs to get on that Snickers diet and stay locked in the weight room. <laughs> Same thing for Dragon Bender. But there is a... I just love the name. Oh, dragon. the Dragon. John Henry would have a field day promoting someone whose nickname is the Dragon. And the Dragon, what he needs to do is to bulk up to become a better rebounder and to be able to hold up playing the NBA game. But when you look at his understanding, his basketball IQ, and a lot of the the skills are already at a high level. So this, to me, could be a very good player down the line. And I think if you're the Celtics and you are, in fact, using that pick, you have to swing for the fences. Exactly. And take the guy who could be the best player in the draft and – you never know. I mean, Simmons and, and Ingram, obviously their consensus one-two pick. But if Bender can develop into a set, almost a seven-foot-one frame and he has the ability that, he, that he's out there, I, I like him. I say go for it. I don't think you're going to be able, as you said, I don't think you're going to be able to swing this number three pick um, you know, for anything worthy uh, of – you know, any of those big names out there, Paul George, uh, Jimmy Butler, even even Boogie Cousins, I just don't think, I don't see it. I, I just don't see it. So you got to kind of do what Danny Ainge did before. Acquire a lot of young talent 
and then when the time is right, trade some of that young talent for proven veterans. And, you know, they did that back in 2007 with, you know, the Al Jeffersons of the world. They they gave and they got and they got a championship. Jeff, it is a hard sell for the Celtics to be able to persuade a team to give up their franchise player in a league where that is such a rare and such an important commodity. The Red Sox are also in a very tough predicament where they are potentially a number two pitcher away from being a contender in the American League. And yet, when you look at who they would have to give up, I ask you, would it be worth it? It all depends on who you have to give up. And and I'm looking at this team as a whole. This is the best the the Red Sox have done in my lifetime, uh, really even longer than my lifetime, of building from within. They've built with draft picks. You know, they have... Three players on their team that came from the 2011 draft. You know, they got homegrown talent in Dustin Pedroia, homegrown talent, if you want to call him talent, in Clay Buckholtz. You know, uh, Sam Travis is coming up through the ranks. Um, there's plenty of guys you could trade. I'm of the mind that any of the guys that are down on AAA or in AA in Portland, any of those guys are tradable. Because you have a chance right now, with your offense being as good as it is, and having a fairly young nucleus with Xander Bogarts, uh, Bogarts um, Mookie Betts, and JBJ out there, along with Travis Shaw, who's come along very, very well, uh, you have a fairly young nucleus. I'm okay with trading some of your upper echelon talent if it's going to land you a number two pitcher who can put you in the driver's seat in the American League. Right now, they're in the topic of one of the top five teams. Obviously, they have one of the best offenses in baseball right now. But throw in a pitcher, throw in another bullpen arm with Carson Smith going down with Tommy John surgery, and you have the makings of a World Series contender. I think they, you know what, given... Given his um, track record, Dombrowski may do that, and I'm okay with it. I'm all right with with trading chips that you think could be great. Uh, you know, the Sox have done it in the past. Uh, I, I look back on the Pedro Martinez trade uh, where they gave up on Carl Pavano to get Martinez. Now, I'm not saying there's a guy out there like Martinez, but Brian Rose and Carl Pavano were looked upon as the next coming of the greatest pitchers ever. Pavano had a decent career. Uh, Brian Rose didn't. So, you know what? It's like pop going in a bag. Some pop, some don't. And you turn around, and I'm going to go for proven commodity over talent. No, no mistake. You look at this Red Sox team, and sure, a number two starting pitcher could have them in the World Series. But then go look at the elite teams in the National League, and... It's a hard sell that with Eduardo Rodriguez, is he going to come back to form and be a, a true reliable force? Is Rick Porcello going to be reliable in the postseason? Is David Price, with his postseason track record, trustworthy to go all in 
on one season. I get they want to put a World Series contender around David Ortiz in his last season. He deserves that. I get that when you have a chance at a World Series, it's hard to be patient and pass that up. But when you look at what the Red Sox are building, not just at the professional level where their young talent combined with the veterans like Pedroia and Ortiz and even Hanley Ramirez, I'll throw him in there, are mashing the ball first in just about every offensive statistic in the MLB. You have a chance to build a dynasty. And when you look at the potential pitchers they could get for the likes of Moncada, Benintendi, even Espinoza, it's just not worth it. You look at Sonny Gray, you're looking at Julio Tehran. Listen, if a name who is more in line with the status of David Price becomes available, that's a different conversation. But right now, you look at the names who could be gotten, and it's just not worth it when you look at the potential. Yon Moncada, I firmly believe, could be one of the faces of baseball when he's ready to come up to the major leagues. Ben Intendi is mashing the ball. The Red Sox were very conservative in his timeline in moving him up from Salem, but they have done so, and he's producing, and he may be their starting left fielder come next season. Espinoza is lighting it up right now. These are three not just potentially great players, but the chance that one of those three becomes a superstar is realistic enough for me to take the patient route. Let's build a dynasty rather than trying to go for it all on the short-term basis. Yeah, well, here's where I disagree with you, Bobby, because uh, you look at a Yon Makata, right? You're not going to trade him because of his contract. The Red Sox went out with a $31.5 million signing bonus for him. Obviously, he's an untouchable. But Benintendi, I'll move him. Tell me where he's going to play left field right now. Left field. Okay, so tell me what he's going to play left field. You still got a guy that you paid $80 million to um, in Rusne Casillo. He's in the who, minor leagues right now. He obviously, didn't even he's, get in, the, I understand he's in the minor leagues. I understand he's in the minor leagues. I understand. I understand he's in the minor leagues, and it's a bad thing. But left field, big deal. You're the Boston damn Red Sox. You can go out and get a left fielder at the drop of a freaking hat. You just throw some money at it. That's what the Red Sox have always done. I'm of the mind, if you have a chance to get a World Series and pretty much steal one. If they get a World Series this year, they're stealing it because they weren't looked upon at the beginning of the season as a team that, you know, they were fringe playoff at best. Right now they have three of the top five hitters in baseball. You have David Ortiz hitting the ball as good if he's, as he ever has, and you have Xander Bogats killing the ball, mashing the ball, and, and then JBJ doing what he's doing. I'm telling you right now, you go out and you trade someone. You have a, a draft where you can replace these players. You go out and you make the trade and you get the ring. You don't sit there and say, well, we could be great Look in the future. That is Billy Bean that is in Oakland, and that is why Billy Bean has not one single ring. Jeff, I firmly believe in a player like Jackie Bradley, who I'll use as an example, but before we go all in and we're sacrificing potential all-star caliber players here, let's see what he looks like after the hit streak is over, okay? 
because there is a chance. I'm not saying it will happen, but there is a chance that he, he starts the tailspin, that the hit streak comes. Sure is. So I would say let, let's be certain in what we have here. Let's see what happens and just how long these bats can stay hot and what happens if they face some adversity, how they respond to it before we're mortgaging pieces that could help us hoist not just one, but multiple World Series trophies in the future. I'm sorry. I, I, I would rather go for a shot now than possibly in the future. Again, that's just, that's just how I am. Baseball's a funny sport, and you know what? You, you don't know how much you got because you look at a guy like David Price, and the amount of money that you're paying this guy to right now kind of underperform, um, and you're paying him all this money, and basically it's a three-year contract. I know it's a you know a seven-year deal, but basically he can opt out after three years. Why not go for it? Really, why not just go out and go for it? Uh, that's just me. I'd rather go out and 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 move some guys around and get something back. I mean, not not every trade that you trade away, you know, a number one prospect uh, turns around and bites you in the, in the butt. Sometimes, sometimes they're good trades, and, and, and they're great trades that make things happen. Jeff, when Andrew Benintendi and Yohan Moncada are helping the Red Sox win multiple World Series and some... But who's going to pitch for them, Bobby? Free agents? Who's going to pitch for How'd them? How'd they get David Price? Who, who'd they give up to sign the ace of this staff right now? The ace of the staff with a five ERA. Who, that's what I'm saying. Right in three years, who's going to pitch for him? Espinosa. Why not go Espinosa will be ready by then. You have Eduardo Rodriguez, who I know he's hurt right now, but you can see last year that he is an emerging talent with the potential to be a number two starter on this team. So I, I think the patient route is the best route, where you look at a rotation that could be cemented by Rodriguez, Espinoza, and free agency, I think that is a smarter play. And let me put it to you this way, Jeff, before we move on to some of our other topics. Would you rather have one or two kicks at the can or four to five? I'd rather take a chance and get one kick at that can with a team that has the ability to win this year then maybe in three or four years, if all of these guys become, you know, superstars, that I'll get four kicks at the can. That's just me. All right. Well, I think that we've both laid out <laughs> where, where we stand on that topic. Jeff, at the very least, we trust Dombrowski to make the right decision. A person who solidified for me at least, and for many others, that there's just such little confidence in him to make the correct call is Don Sweeney, and I'm obviously going to throw the man above him, Cam Neely, into that as well. I just have such little faith in the Bruins' front office. But let me ask you, do you think it would be worth it for them to turn around and pursue Steven Stamkos? I think you gotta, uh, and I don't know if they had the cap room to do it. Um, but you you gotta get some different talent in here. I'm of the mind, and I'm okay. You know, if the Bruins were to blow it up, we've had this conversation before. 
you know, who wouldn't you move? And I think we both settled on Patrice Bergeron. But yep, it's a list I, of one. Yeah, it really is a list of one. But still, Bergeron, you know, he isn't getting any younger. Um, do I trust? Do I trust Don Sweeney and Cam Neely? Not yet. I, I hated this contract that I just signed with, uh, you know, Kevin Miller. I think Miller's a decent player, but not worth two and a half million dollars. It, it, it's looking more and more like Don Sweeney is just Peter Shirelli, yep. only with a more famous name. Um, and that's the big thing there. I would take a swing for Steven Stamkos because he brings something to the table that the Bruins need. They need scoring. They, they need a two-way player, and Stamkos can be that type of player. Um, but they also need defensive help. So really, for me, I want to see them make some moves, and I think they should have done it last year at the trade deadline. I think they should have tried to move Chara. I think they should have tried to move Erickson. They obviously didn't. They sat pat and didn't do anything. Um, you just, I mean, they got to get at least two defensemen that are going to be able to uh, develop in this team. But unfortunately, I don't know if they have it. I don't know if they have it in the in them. To do it, I, I don't trust it. I would much rather see the Bruins blow it up than finish ninth or 10th every year. And, Jeff, what's even worse is that you look at the pieces they could move, like a Brad Marchand, the assets they could get back for that are significant. But when you look at the fact that Don Sweeney, it even says in his bio that he had a hand in the development of this young talent that really hasn't come to fruition here. I don't think that's such a good thing. They may want to go back and edit that piece out. So I don't trust them. It, keeping Claude Julien makes even less sense if you're going to begin to blow it up. I don't trust them to hire the right coach to develop young talent as much as we know that Claude Julien wouldn't be the right man for that job. So I look at it and say, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense for the Bruins based on what they have in the front office and behind the bench. The worst place you can be in sports, we all understand, is the middle class where you're not good enough to restock through the draft, and yet you're not good enough to truly compete for a Stanley Cup. And so that's why I say the Jacobs boys have to open their wallets and spend, Which spend, they won't. spend. Well, you know what? It's funny because they have a reputation of not spending, and there was – a, a much of their time as Jeremy Jacobs as the owner, that has been true. But when you look at the last, I'm going I'm to say off the top of my head without really looking at each individual season and how much money they spent, I'm going to say the last decade, to be fair to the Jacobses, they have spent money. And that's been the problem with the Bruins and why <clears throat> Peter Shirelli's not here is because they've overspent on their own talent. It's not a case of them being cheap. And so when you break it down, Jeff, the NHL salary cap is expected to rise to about $74 million this coming season. And the Bruins project to have about $23 million in cap space. That's not even factoring moves such as a potential buyout of Dennis Seidenberg's contract. So when you look at Patrick Kane not hitting the open market, and he gets $10 million along with Jonathan Taves. Let's say that Steven Stamkos, testing free agency, guy who age-wise is entering the prime of his career. Let's say 
that he goes for $12 million. And the Bruins, everyone wants them to sign the Hobie Baker winner, Jimmy Vesey. That's only going to cost you about $900,000. It should be under a million, one million at the most. And then they have the cap space to choose one of Kyle Ocposo, the right winger from the Islanders, or Alex Goligoski, legitimate top four defenseman from the Stars. Depending on what your preference is, right wing or defense, it's going to cost you five to seven million dollars to throw out some stats because I'm curious to hear, Jeff, you mentioned the importance of getting a top four defenseman. Which one you would choose? Ocposo is a 28-year-old who in the last three seasons has combined to score 67 goals and accumulated 184 points, while Goligoski is 30 years old and, like I said, a legitimate top four defenseman that would help to shore up the back end of the Bruins. Uh, you got to go on that back end. We saw last year exactly what happens in a Claude Julien system when you don't have defense. And if Claude Julien is your coach and they've given him, you know, a little pat on the back and they've given him, they haven't fired him after two absolute collapses. If he is your coach, you need to suit him with the players that do well in front of him. The reason they won the Stanley Cup back in 2011 wasn't just Tim Thomas standing on top of his head. Tim Thomas made some great saves. But what was Tim Thomas before he ended up in a system that played extremely tight defense? He was a journeyman, um, a journeyman goaltender at best who in college at Vermont wasn't even the best goaltender on his team. Then you have Tuka Rask come in, and I love Tuka Rask. I'm a big fan of Tuka Rask. I think he's a better goalie than what is what was before him in Tim Thomas, even though he doesn't have the Stanley Cup championship. They got to the sixth game of the NHL Finals a couple of years ago on defense and hard-hitting and people in front of Rask and that's what made Rask, you know, a Vesna Trophy winner. That's what made this team so good because you had a Sedano Chara, who was a very good defenseman in his prime, one of the best in the league. You had Dennis Seidenberg, who was a superb defender. The two of them together really made things really uncomfortable for top-notch offensive teams. Remembering back to 2013 against the Penguins, where they absolutely destroyed Sidney Crosby and the rest of those guys. And even Johnny Boychuk and, and these other guys that were out there that they built around it, you need top four defensemen on this team, and the goals will come from it. Yes, you have me shedding a tear over here, reminiscing about the glory days. You bring up Johnny Boychuk. Oh, what a, what a simpler time it was. Johnny Rocket, baby. That's right. He, that team was fun to watch, and offensively, David Krejci was on the third line at one point during that run from the Stanley Cup in 2011. And then, of course, moving up the ranks as they progressed to the team that made it but came up short in 2013. Another move I look at, Jeff, to shore up the defense is Kevin Shattenkirk of the St. Louis Blues, who is an all-star caliber defenseman figures to cash in at the end of this coming season as a free agent, most likely meaning that he's destined to leave St. Louis. If you're the Bruins, 
would you call up the Blues offering David Krejci for Kevin Shattenkirk? Interesting. Very, very interesting, and I think I would. I love David Krejci's. I think he steps up and becomes the new man when he's in the playoffs. But you got to get to the playoffs. And again, I am of a sound mind and body to sit there and say, make the moves, change things up, because what you have isn't working. you got young players coming up, like a Ryan Spooner who can move up in, in there. you got guys that can do this. Krejci's now, you know, is falling a little farther down the depth chart. We know Bergeron's technically that number one center. I'm okay with doing that move. I think you need two blue liners, and I think the offense, again, in the Claude Julian system, definitely can score goals if they have solid defense behind them. I can get behind a move where you are trading from a position of strength center for a glaring weakness defense, not to mention that David Krejci's cap hit is $7.2 million, while Shattenkirk's is $4.2 million, so it gives you a little extra dough to go out and pursue Steven Stamkos. It'll all play out. It will all play out. We'll see. The sexy name is Steven Stamkos, but is he worth it in the Claude Julien system? That's what I say. Jeff, hopefully we are able to find out I am also hoping to find out about whether or not Arian Foster is a good fit in New England and can help solidify the backfield. Spotted at Logan Airport, taking pictures with the fam at Fenway Pack. Do you think it is worth it for the Patriots to sign Arian Foster? I can't believe I'm going to say this, Bobby, because you know my affinity for running backs. You know how much I love a good running game. I don't think so. I, I don't think it's worth it right now. Um, tell me what Arian Foster are we getting? Are we getting, you know, the 300 carry back that, you know, was unbelievable and, and just a, a great receiver out of the backfield, catch the ball, run the ball, three down, run it back, or are we getting the guy that has seemed to break down over the last couple of years, who hasn't played a full 16-game season since 2012? What are you getting for a guy that is now 30, the deathly age for a running back 30? Now, granted, he doesn't have 10,000 yards yet running the ball. He's in the 6,500 range. So, the, you know, he doesn't have that, that extreme mileage on him that other running backs have had. I'd be intrigued to see what he had left and bring him in here. But at the same point, I don't think what he can bring to this team is enough to go out and spend money on him. If he's willing to come in for $1 million or less, I'll give it a shot. Uh, because I think that solves your problem of the big back receiving back, which I hate. But again, I don't know if I'm willing to go all in on Arian Foster. In Arian Foster the Patriots would be getting exactly what they pay for. That is not the Arian Foster who was handsomely paid to be one of the best running backs in the NFL. It is the post-injury Arian Foster who can be part of a committee who the Patriots offense is not overly relying on while he's also not too much of a burden. So, 
if Arian Foster, for instance, comes to New England and emerges as someone who wins a roster spot coming out of training camp and the preseason, even if he is the Patriots' number one back, Jeff, you know he's not going to get too many carries. Injury history is valid from a standpoint of how's he going to be able to produce, but I don't think it's as valid an argument if he were to wind up in New England for durability because he's not going to be asked to be nearly the same workhorse that he was as a member of the Houston Texans. Now, let me ask you this, Bobby, though. We talk about Arian Foster and what kind of running back he was. You know, he had a 1,600-yard season in 2010, a 1,400-yard season in 2012. Uh, You know, he had three straight seasons of over 1,000 yards, actually over 1,200 yards, then got hurt in 2013, comes back in his first year under Billy O'Brien and runs for another 1,200 yards. Are we getting that back, or was he just a product of the system that Gary Kubiak runs, which takes no-name backs like Justin Forsett and turns them into great running backs? No, this is not Mike Anderson or Ruben Drones. This is Ruben Drones, baby. Yeah, you like that reference? I killed that in Madden, man. I killed that in Madden with Ruben Drones. That one was for you. I appreciate that. But when you watch Arian Foster play, it's clear that he's not a system running back. This is a genuinely talented player. You could see it at the University of Tennessee. You could see it throughout his NFL career. The biggest question is how much does he have left in the tank At what level can he produce? Can he come in and win a job in training camp, which I would say is not something you consider a guarantee regardless of where he signs? And then secondly, how well can he perform? And it's going to be very interesting to see what the future holds for Arian Foster. If I'm the Patriots looking at the running back position and what they have now, especially, Jeff, you of all people are – the most concerned about Deion Lewis's future and his ability to produce near the level he did last season before going down. I think it's worth it for the Patriots to find out firsthand just how much mileage Arian Foster has left. Well, we'll have to see, but yes, I'm concerned about Deion Lewis, but I got a new, new Patsgasm man crush, and that's DJ Foster going to make this team as an undrafted rookie free agent and absolutely be the man. I do really like him. I'm I'm hoping for DJ Foster. I know that part of the motivation for you has to be the chance that he knocks Donald Brown out of a roster <laughs> spot. If I could find a way for him to knock Donald Brown and Brandon Bolden out of a roster spot, I'd be the happiest man in the world. I'll tell you what. Sign Arian Foster for whatever he wants if Brandon Bolden's not on the team. There's a lot of people in our Patriots writers message group that would be grabbing the Kleenex and having some significant Patsgasms. <laughs> Jeff. Hashtag Patsgasm, baby. Jeff, my concern is not with the running back position overall. My concern is that you heard the reports last week that indications are Jamie Collins, Dante Hightower, Malcolm Butler, not one of them is looking to take a penny less than they're worth. And I don't blame them one iota. But at the same time, looking at how the Patriots 
have operated. And I'm going to steal a little bit of your thunder here. Yes, they do have a history of taking care of their own. I've never accused the Patriots of being cheap. But at the same time, they do have a philosophy that emphasizes every player on the roster and making sure that the bottom third is strong enough to support and sustain a team when injuries occur and is able to produce on special teams. My concern is that the Patriots look at Jamie Collins, Dante Hightower, and Malcolm Butler and say, we can't pay all three of these and have as well-rounded a team as we like. But I understand that you have a breakdown that makes a lot of sense. So why don't you go ahead and share that with our listeners? Now, it's very simple there, Bobby. First of all, 2017, the cap is going to go up, all right? So now you have your your big three, if you want to call them. There's a lot of other guys that could deserve contract extension as well. Jabal Sheard is one. Rob, uh, Rob Ninkovich is another. And then on the offensive side of the ball, we don't know what Marty Bennett's going to do for us yet. But if he succeeds, it could be a lot of things here. But Patriots have a very simple thing that they can do here. Obviously, at 31 years old, Danny Amendola is going to be cut next year. At some point, he is going to be cut. He has redone his contract. If you don't have any years left to kind of push money to, you can't redo your contract. Danny Amendola, 31 years old. See you later. There's a reason you turned around and signed Chris Hogan. There's a reason that you drafted Malcolm Mitchell. I love you, Danny Amendola, but $7.5 million next year, it's gone. Freeze up some money there. You have... Uh, Devin McCourty, $10 million cap hit, do some things there, you're good to go. Nate Soldier going into his final year, $7.5 million cap hit, you turn around, re-sign him, you stretch things out. That gives you a little more flexibility. And I'm getting all of these uh, cap numbers from our good friend Miguel over at patscap.com. If you haven't had a chance to ever check out his page, patscap.com, it is absolutely awesome. He does a great job. But now, you look at this. You've got Jamie Collins, Donta Hightower, and Malcolm Butler. We know what Donta Hightower's probably worth. It's probably four years, 45 to $50 million, very simple, similar to what uh, Billy Wagner signed in Seattle. Okay, So you sign him to that deal. Then you turn around, and Malcolm Butler is a restricted free agent. You're not in a rush to turn around and sign him to a huge long-term deal. You turn around, you give him the highest tender possible, okay? That is a first-round tender. If then you lose Malcolm Butler because someone signs him, you have the right of first refusal. You have seven days to bring him back at whatever contract offer sheet he is signed with another team. If he doesn't, you turn around and you get that first, another first-round draft pick and you do something with it, whether it's drafting his replacement or getting another spot on the team. Then, Jamie Collins... Very simple. You franchise tag him. About 115 to $12 million franchise tag to do that. And that is where you work things out a little bit with this team. It gives you a little more time to make all the things that you need to happen work around there. I don't think that all, any of the three of these guys are going anywhere. I really do believe that Bill Belichick is looking at this and saying, I built my first three Super Bowl championship teams with a quarterback who ran a certain system and a smothering defense. 
I then went to back-to-back Super Bowls with a defense that was less than stellar and lost. I finally won my fourth Super Bowl, cementing myself as the best coach of all time when I had a balanced team with a defense that made plays and kept that team in the game. I think Bill Belichick looks at Tom Brady, realizes at one point or another that right arm, that golden right arm, isn't going to throw 30 to 35 touchdown passes again, and it's going to be a spot where either Tom Brady is going to decline, and you're going to need the defense to step up, or whether it be Jimmy Garoppolo or Jacoby Brissett being the next quarterback for the New England Patriots, you need to build the defense. We saw it last year with none other than Peyton Manning being a shell of his former self, winning a Super Bowl because of defense. We've seen it time and time again where defense still can win championships in this league. Jeff, that all sounds good to me, but you know I'm not going to miss an opportunity to poke the bear. Uh, and you're going to get poked right back. Playing de- hungry. Playing devil's advocate, do you really want to go out and let Malcolm Butler test the market at the cornerback position as a number one corner, Pro Bowl caliber, and see just how much money a team is willing to spend on him? Yeah, I guess, you know, I'm willing to do it. I, I, and, and not that I want to see Malcolm Butler go. I, I think he's a great, great cornerback. I think he was a great find. I thought he did a very good job of getting thrown into the spotlight uh, for the Patriots last year. We all know how great he played in that fourth quarter um, for the New England Patriots in Super Bowl 49. He played very well last year. Um, but am I willing to see what happens if someone spends stupid money on him? Yeah. For a first-round draft pick, I am. Because I have faith in the coach and I have faith in Nick Casario that with an extra first-round draft pick, they could turn around and draft the you know, the next Richard Seymour, the next Vince Wilfork, the next... Dev McCourty, they hit almost 90% of the time on their first-round draft picks. I can think of two, Lawrence Maroney and, of course, Dominic Easley, who really didn't hit. I would be okay with it. I would be okay with it because I think they could turn around and do some things. And then, again, you don't know what you have yet in Darrell Roberts and Cyrus Jones. Maybe they turn around and become great cornerbacks. A lot of time to see. And we will see. Jeff, time will tell on Roberts and Jones, but I would be awfully surprised if they turn out to be of the same caliber as Malcolm Butler, who, by the way, is still growing. And he is. I think that when the Patriots look at their track record drafting cornerbacks, when they look at what happened to that defense, specifically the passing defense, when they lost Asante Samuel up until the point they acquired Aqib Tlaib. I don't think Malcolm Butler is a player they feel comfortable losing, which is why I think they want to take care of him before he can go out and test the open market. And then shifting to the two linebackers, Jeff, again, this is just me poking the bear, playing devil's advocate. What happens if they franchise Jamie Collins and he holds out. 
then you're in the same position that you were with uh, with Logan Ryan, uh, Logan Mankins. You, he, if he holds out, all right, he holds out. You just signed Shane McClellan uh, to a, a deal. Is he what Jamie Collins is? No, he definitely okay. isn't what Jamie Collins is. But you can get by. He's better than Monty Beisel was. All right, you can get by. But I don't believe that. Why would you hold out from a twelve million dollar payday? Uh, I maybe you hold out at the beginning and then you try to work something out. But I, I don't see it happening. But if it happens, it happens. The Patriots always find a way to make things work. Bill Belichick deserves a lot of credit. I've been upset with him at times, but then I realize he does what he needs to do. I'm not worried. I'm not scared of losing any of these three guys, but I do believe all three are back in 2017 in one shape, form, or another. And Darrell Roberts is going to be the best cornerback on the Patriots this year. We both know that's not true, but it's a nice sentiment. Jeff, I think there is a possibility, as hopeful as I am, that the Patriots re-sign all three of Collins, Hightower, and Butler. I think there's a possibility that one of them leaves New England, and if it is going to be one, I think it's going to be Dante Hightower. But that's just my two cents. I'll leave you with the last word. Be uh, be awful tough if uh, Dante Hightower uh, were to be that guy who left. I think he's developed into a phenomenal linebacker uh, in this league. Uh, really sets the tone physicality wise for the Patriots. Uh, we saw what it was like against the Denver Broncos when he lo- he you know basically was lost to the second half. Uh, it really opened up that run defense and and killed him. I think Dante Hightower and Jamie Collins, um, if any of them are going to leave. I think it's Malcolm Butler because I believe the Patriots think they can win without great cornerbacks. All right. That's going to do it for tonight's episode. He's Jeff Kane. You can find him on Twitter at Jeff Kane 78. Be sure to read his work at ESPN, New Hampshire. I'm Bobby Kravitsky. You can find me on Twitter at Bobby underscore K 91. Thanks for listening. We appreciate it. We hope you enjoyed it. Have a great week. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. Got money on my mind, I can never get enough. And every time I step up in the building, everybody's hands go up. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.